Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta. I'm John Sloan. And I'm Sandra Trittin. And together we are exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. As you all know, we're coming up to winter fast. This time last year, as we were coming up to winter, there was a lot of fear about what would winter would hold for the energy markets after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all the impacts of that. So today, I thought it would be really interesting to explore what this winter holds for us in terms of the energy markets. And unfortunately, we don't have Sandra with us today. She has uh, lost her voice, so she's recovering from a cold. But we do have two uh, guests from LCP Delta, experts in the upstream power markets and also in uh, the flexibility markets, to help us look forward to this winter and what's in store. So let's say hello to our guests. First of all, John Ferris, uh, who leads LCP Delta's flexibility work. Hello, John. Hello, John. Um, and secondly, Gurpa Rupray, who leads a lot of uh, our modeling on the power markets. Hello, Gurps. Hello, John. Let's start by rewinding to November 2022, 12 months ago. There was a lot of worry about the winter ahead at that time, I think. Would the lights stay on? What would the prices be? Would we run out of gas? Gerps, can you just remind us how worried people were then and exactly what they were worried about? Yeah, I mean, I, I know a few of my uh, neighbours and friends were asking me, do I need to buy a few candles uh, just, to make, <laughs> just in case for this winter? Uh, I don't think we ever really, really got to that point. Uh, the winter turned out to be a, a bit warmer. Um, and uh, overall lower in demand than, than people were expecting. But yeah, leading, leading up to that winter, prices were getting extremely high. So day ahead prices were getting, we'd seen day ahead prices breaching around £1,500 per megawatt hour and leading up to that winter. And, and to put that in context, in, in the years before 2022, generally the day ahead price stayed in a, in a comfortable range between, say, 50 and 150 pounds per megawatt hour. So it's so an order of magnitude mm. difference um, 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 in, in prices leading up to that winter. So some real worry about the lights going out, not just to me friends, but people in the energy system working in the energy sector. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a, there was a lot of concern, not just in in, in the UK, but obviously in, in Europe as well. So the French nuclear fleet had suffered a, a series of, of, of long term outages and, and, and across across that summer period and leading up into the winter period. There was a lot of worry about whether whether those um, nuclear assets would actually return for that winter mm. and, and the winter and the summer had been um, very very hot as well so and the stock levels of hydro hydropower plants in in Norway in Spain and in France as well were, were at much lower levels um, and going into that winter as well so there's a real combination of, of, of effects aside from um, um, gas prices so we almost had if we had had a cold winter we would have had a perfect storm yeah, it, re it really would have been a perfect storm and really all eyes would have been on, on gas stock levels and, and how those stock levels were, were, were declining through, through, through that winter period. John, what, what's your memories of 12 months ago uh, and how worried people were or the, the mood music at that time? I, I, I spent over a decade trading 
um, power and gas in the UK market on behalf of industrial commercial consumers. This time of year was always a worry and particularly uh, driven by the, the concern over gas stocks. So winter demand, particularly in Northern Europe for gas, is much higher than in the summer because a lot of people use it for heating their homes. It's also used for um, generating electricity and historically has been that flexible generation that would turn up to meet spikes in demand. So there's always a worry this time of year as to whether there would be enough gas in store to, to last the whole winter or the opportunity cost of having to take gas out of store early and risk not having any at the end of winter, particularly February and March, where we frequently do see a, a cold spell. So those concerns were really exacerbated by having spent the summer trying to refill gas from relatively low stocks without the flow of Russian gas. So prices were driven by the need to import LNG from around the world to fill, to fill the stocks. And we, we'd reached this point of the winter with relatively high gas stocks, but still concern over whether we would have enough flows of gas to meet a cold winter. And for all the announcements from Google this week that they've revolutionized long-range weather forecasting using AI, <laughs> it's still a concern and it's still something that traders don't are unwilling to take risks yeah. um, forecasting that far out of running out of, of gas. So the price tends to stay high um, in order to keep keep gas stocks for that, that end of winter. So we were in a dicey situation this time last year. Luckily, uh, or luckily, um, the, the gas stocks in Europe, uh, I think, were, were quite high. I think that there was a great job done in filling the gas storage facilities, despite the problems of supply from, from Russia. Um, and probably the most important thing, we didn't have a cold winter. <laughs> last winter so those gas stocks stayed high but prices were you know they do they stay at those sort of levels GURPS, uh, that sort of order of magnitude higher or did they calm down during the winter just to remind our listeners yeah well well i'm um, going into that winter the, the the prices were mainly you know driven by the buying behavior of, of, of gas and leading up to that winter period to meet a, a mandated stock level so the european union took a decision to make sure that stock levels reached at least 90 percent coming into that winter period when, when that when that um buying um, um when, when when those stock levels were reached and that that buying paused and and the warm winter started to materialize in in november actually we saw start we started to see prices coming off and um, and so so actually um, the, the the high power prices we saw for that winter they weren't driven by fundamentals they weren't driven by the the, the fundamental price of gas being very high they were driven by um what we term scarcity or we might term risk being built into the electricity price, taking electricity prices you know, far, far higher than, than, than gas prices um, actually suggested. 
and, and that correction, the, the removal of that risk as we started to see that, that warm winter appear and cause the, the fall in, in electricity prices to, to closer to, you know, still high levels, but much closer to what um, uh, fundamentals, what the cost of generating electricity from, from natural gas implied. And the other side of that coin is the demand side, where we also saw um, measures and targets set by the EU across Europe to reduce particularly gas consumption, but also peak electricity demand. So the combination of seeing underlying demand fall um, through those measures, the warm winter keeping demand low, um, and I think last winter was, was the lowest peak demand in, in the UK for at least decades, and, and that's after a downward trend of nearly 20 years of declining peak demand. So the, the demand needed to be met was, was very low. And a number of countries, particularly the, the, the um, UK market, introduced uh, peak shaving products that could call on demand-side response in in case the all the other measures to bring generation on to meet demand um couldn't couldn't keep the lights on and interestingly in in Europe a lot of those demand reductions for gas and for electricity they were voluntary you know governments were asking people to save gas save electricity asking businesses to to save gas and save electricity we didn't see the the same sort of um um marketing and, and publicity given to that in, in, in the UK, the, the, the DFS surface, that, that peak lopping surface that, that John mentioned was introduced and that did incentivize some, some demand reduction. Actually, probably a lot of that electricity demand reduction that we saw was more due to the, the cost of living crisis, which, mm. which, which people were going through, people trying to uh, reduce their, their, um, high gas and high electricity bills obviously the the off-gen price cap was um, you know incredibly high yes so we did see a lot of price intervention across europe but despite that um as you mentioned the retail price cap in the uk did see prices double where they had been a year or two beforehand so it's still capped but still at a a, at a very high cost so Last winter, then, we had the potential for a perfect storm. The Europe got its act together really well with gas storage. We were lucky we didn't have a cold winter. A reasonable job was done in reducing demand and in peak demand management. But even with that, consumers across Europe were subject to huge price increases, or there were price caps and government stepped in with, with billions of dollars, uh, euros and pounds. So we got through last winter without the potential security supply implications, without where prices could have got to. Let's look forward to this winter now. Uh, so, Gertz, how are things looking going into winter, the winter ahead? Same situation, different situation, better, worse? Yes, I mean, the, the situation has 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 changed in, in a lot of ways. We're, we're still not expecting... Um, much of if any flows of, of gas from from Russia in, in, into Europe, um, and 
at the same time, though, the, the, the long range weather forecast for, for the upcoming winter are suggesting it's, it's going to be, you know, at least a warm, wet start to this winter period, maybe slightly cooler in, 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 in the first quarter of next year. And that first quarter always tends to be the period of highest demand, say January, start of February is typically the, the highest period of um, electricity and, and gas demand um, in the UK. Um, so, so that being said, uh, so what were we expecting for this upcoming winter? Well, um, looking at um, um, our forecast um, for, for the upcoming winter, we are expecting it to be more comfortable. We're not expecting any serious threats to um, security of supply. Um, a lot of those threats were were, were mainly for um, in the form of a lack of imports of um, elect, you know, a lack of ability to import electricity from Europe due to the tighter supplies in, in France because, um, you know, the, the lack of um, that, that nuclear capacity being on outage, which, uh, you know, a lot of that capacity has now come back. So the nuclear capacity is looking firmer now. There are less worries about that fleet. Is looking firmer, yeah. I think there's another four reactors that's expected to come back for for this winter yeah. period. Out of uh, I think around. What about the hydro gaps? Is that that was a in a not a great situation this time last year? Is it in a better situation now? That, that Nordic hydro. Well, well, our hydro should certainly be better given the summer summer we had. Um, but yeah, that that, that Nordic hydro um, is expected to is, is does have higher stock levels for this winter. Although it is interesting looking at Norway, there was a there was another um, interconnector project between Norway and the UK actually connecting into Scotland, and that um, interconnector um, hasn't received um, consent to go ahead, hasn't received consent from the Norwegian government to go ahead and that's um though they're looking to essentially protect domestic security of supply and domestic um, um power prices to keep keep power prices low which is interesting we'd always viewed norway as being the battery of europe and yeah. connecting it to scotland with all the offshore wind and you know to denmark for all their wind and yeah to northern germany yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, um, slightly um, um, more protectionist measures um, and being taken potentially. For I think it was more the case that the, the, the UK, France, Germany, Denmark saw Norway as the battery for. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so looking more comfortable, good gas stocks. The generation fleet in France is looking all right. Hydro is okay. The winter. Maybe colder in the first quarter of next year, but not super cold. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, you know, the, the weather has been in, incredibly variable this year, um, and you could still see, you know, um, a, a, a cold winter coming in. And we should probably draw some lessons from previous cold winters that we that we've seen in the past. So, I mean, the one to focus upon is well, one in in 2018 when we saw the beast from the east. That was an incredible um, extended period of snowfall in the UK towards I think it was the mid or end of February, John. Yes, end of end of February, beginning of March. Yeah, uh, and and it's particularly at that point where. The gas stocks have been run down. Everyone saw uh, an end to the winter. And then with low gas, an extended cold snap um, can really have quite an impact on both prices and demand. 
Yeah, and in the in the UK, that's when the gas stocks were running out, and we were looking at disconnecting power stations from uh, from from using gas um, to, to to generate. And we saw some incredibly high gas prices. That was our first. That was the first real peak in, in gas prices we'd seen. And that's been one of the drivers for the the the, the emergence of the future system operator. In, in the GB market, where the electricity system operator was calling on gas generators to burn more gas to, um, to, to keep the power on. And the gas system operator was desperately trying to reduce gas demand at the same time. A, a joined up energy policy, John, that sounds like very revolutionary thought. <laughs> Let's just touch on prices. How are, so, yeah, guys, I think it's a really good point. We're Things may be looking okay now, but don't relax too much because it's difficult to know what winter can hold and what the weather will bring. Where are prices at? You you mentioned typically going into the winter, it might be between, this is in pounds, but not that much difference in euros, 50 pounds to 150 pounds a megawatt hour. Last year, it was an order of magnitude above that up to 1,500 pounds a megawatt hour. Are we back to normal with prices or are there... Are we still at elevated levels? We're, we're still at elevated levels. We're certainly not back at, at, at normal price levels for, for, for what you would term a, a normal or, or boring winter. Um, I think what we've seen is a, a return to um, and fundamental, uh, a return to uh, a period in which the electricity prices are being set by fundamentals rather than fear yeah okay. um, and 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 you know that those those electricity prices are being set by higher than normal gas prices that being said gas prices have, have come down quite a bit so for the coming winter around about 115 pence per therm and when, when during that period we we're getting up to highs of four or 500 pence per therm and in, 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 the, in the day ahead market so it, they they are lower but remember that that 100 pence per therm is still probably Double more more normal levels that we've we've seen in in the past, and um, but that 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 scarcity risk, the additional rent being mm. placed that we saw coming through in electricity prices, that has that has largely disappeared. That's not there at the moment. Yeah. I think it's worth considering also the disconnect between the, the the forward prices for the winter and what we see on a on a day to day basis. That forward prices are typically set for the season or the month ahead, assuming that gas is going to be the marginal fuel, the last unit that's needed to meet demand. Um, And obviously that is being driven by the the current high gas price. However, on a day-to-day basis, we do see much more volatility. So on days with high renewables, even in in, in a winter like last year, when when we have a very windy day, you can still see very low prices or periods of, of very low prices within the day and, and much more volatility on that day, day by day or within day basis. Which gives opportunities, John, to people that can smooth out that volatility, I guess. It, it does. Um, we're certainly seeing that reflected a bit more in dynamic prices this year. Last year, the challenge was that volatility was at a very high price. So yeah. uh, tariffs like um, the, the Octopus Agile tariff, 
prices were above the cap, so there wasn't as much volatility in in that signal being given to consumers, which is where the demand flexibility service uh, came in to meet the needs of the the system operator on the very very um, tight demand days when uh, there was challenges in in meeting demand or expectations of challenges. So what what we saw last year were a, a number of test events. So the market was guaranteed um, for a, a number of a number of events where people could respond to a signal that came through their retailer or an aggregator, and they they would be paid a share of three thousand pounds per megawatt hour, or three pounds per kilowatt hour. So quite a quite an incentive to consumers to respond. In in reality, we didn't actually need many live events last year. And the ones that were called on a day ahead basis were actually resolved within day. So it it, it was a a, a service that that wasn't called on in, in anger, but provided comfort to the ESO and to the markets that it would be there in times of need. That's another tool in the toolbox. Um, and I think what's what's interesting for me is in these sorts of discussions we're having about security supply prices, we're often naturally focusing on um, the supply side, on sources of generation, French nuclear fleet, uh, et cetera. But earlier, Gerps, you were talking about demand being, and John, you were both talking about demand being lower, about voluntary demand reduction measures, about actual demand response programs. John, you've just outlined this sort of program in the UK or GB where residential customers could be paid to reduce their demand at particular times, which I think worked very well. So it feels to me a tipping point is probably too strong, but we're now starting to see a bigger balance between both the supply side and the demand side in terms of managing winter crisis or peaks in demand. So just interested in both of your thoughts. Is tipping point too strong? How much more potential is there for the demand side to play a role? Are we just at the beginning of even a new way of looking at this with the demand side having a far bigger role than we're uh, used to it having in the past? John, do you want to go first and then maybe go? Yeah, so so it's probably a couple of points to highlight. Firstly, we've seen a reduction in the triad response. So industrial demand response. And for triad for non-GB listeners or people that don't know triads? So, so industrial consumers of electricity in, in the GB market are charged for their use of the transmission system based on the three periods of highest demand through the winter. So if you can predict when those periods are and reduce your consumption, then your share of the transmission costs is, is much reduced. Okay. There's uncertainty around when those periods are. So the system operator typically sees about 20 to 30 events where the demand reduction appears in case it's a, it's a triad. Where people are guessing it might be a triad, so we'll reduce demand just in case it is a triad. Yes, and, and they only pay for three of them. Yep. But that's a, 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 a method that's be, it's been 
being phased out for at least the last five years and keeps being extended. But the participation in in that has dropped. And and I think I saw a peak of over three gigawatts of of demand reduction. And the ESO are expecting less than one gigawatt now. So it shows that that you can get big chunks of demand reduction on the back of a fairly small price signal, actually. You you, you can. Um, What we're seeing from the demand flexibility service is residential demand flexibility. Now, that's been, last winter, it was an order of magnitude lower. So we saw around 300 megawatts being delivered. We also saw more participants through the winter as more companies joined the scheme. There's more awareness of it, but also a, a little bit of fatigue from early participants um, becoming less and less active through the winter. And that's even at the very high price that, that was being offered. I would, I would say that's for the first time that's done, John, that level of response feels to me like a roaring success because there's a huge amount of learning there. And as we have more electric heat, more electrification, there'll be more and more opportunity for residential customers to participate and have an impact. So It certainly was a huge step change. And um, I'm sure we all saw the pictures of social media, perhaps of of GURPS's neighbours with their candles, of of people turning everything off in in, in their homes and having dinner by candlelight. That sort of response isn't sustainable, but we are seeing more companies um, providing automated response, um, particularly around EV charging. And... That's probably a view of the future of, of, of the service. It can't really rely too much on behavioural change and manual intervention. People will probably be more considerate of not running their dishwasher or washing machines uh, on days when, when an event has been called. However, the sustainable uh, impact is going to be where it's automated. And we are seeing more and more companies um, looking to harness the, 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 the large um, consuming uh, appliances, particularly EVs and, and heat pumps, to get the value from the demand flexibility service. Thanks, John. Gertz, what's, what's your views on whether the de- we are at that sort of tipping point in how the demand side is viewed? Or yeah, how I think, I think it's interesting, forward? sort of, um, kind of kind of bringing it back to security of supply, that the mechanism that that the UK has always had in place for ensuring security of supply for the upcoming winter is is the capacity market, you know, and, and that capacity market was introduced off of the back of um, coal stations closing because the carbon price support, the carbon tax that they were facing was, was causing them to close. Um, and so that's why the capacity market was introduced to, to essentially insurance policy to keep generators online and yeah just in just in case and prices through that capacity market have been fairly low up until up until the, the last auction where um, inflation uh, require for requirement for new build and so on and so forth them drove drove prices to, to to be higher but obviously you know demand and um, flexibility demand side response can play in 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 capacity market auctions However, to do so, um, there's a lot of 
red tape, uh, a lot of proving um, and testing requirements to go through, whereas the DFS service, which, which John, John was talking about, is much simpler. Um, there's a guaranteed payments at a, a guaranteed price, where you, whereas you don't know what the, the capacity market auction price is going to be. Yeah, and if you don't know the prices, that's fine if you've got a trading team working out what to do. But for a residential customer, it has to be super exactly. simple and super clear. Yeah, well. so, so I was kind of be, be keen to get your thoughts, John, as well. How, how do you see the, the interaction between sort of the, the, the balance between the DFS service and, and the capacity market for um, um, on, on, on the demand side? To my mind, it just appears that um, DFS is a much simpler service with, with a, a good level of return for a residential customer. And it's easily understandable. You know what to do when it comes to uh, between five and seven o'clock. Yeah, you turn off a few lights and unplug your laptop and run it off charge for, for a couple of hours. And... I think from, from a residential perspective, that's that's right. The challenge has, has always been the cost of aggregating lots and lots and lots of small assets and meeting the requirements of the capacity markets or ancillary services and meeting pre-qualification and testing, whereas the demand flexibility service is all done measured through the smart meter, so you don't need any more equipment. It can be um, it, it, it can be implemented manually, it can be automated, and so far that the price has been both guaranteed and high. I think if the scheme does continue and it grows, then the price that was set so that it would encourage demand response when prices were very high last year, last winter, um, might have to reflect more where prices are today and the, the, the value of, of the response. Um, so we probably will see a little bit more price discovery come into the service. Obviously, the, the price that's being paid is a cap, so providers are, are able to bid to ensure that their assets, their customers are included. So we may see that separation between the residential consumers being guaranteed a payment from their retailer or from their aggregator and it's the, the the company that is providing that that is contracting with the the ESO to provide demand flexibility is the one that takes the risk on 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 the market price and ensures that their that their customers get get rewarded for delivering the service it does feel for me that the demand side is starting to play a more significant role we're at a learning point with residential in particular when you were talking about the industrial and commercial customers, John, three gigawatts peak demand in the UK, GURPS, what, roughly where is that oh, at the moment? 50 gigawatts. 50 gigawatts. So we're getting 6%. We've shown we can get 6% peak reduction from industrial and commercial customers, potentially more with bigger price signals, and then layer on the residential ones on top. And I think if, if policymakers design markets and systems not first for gener big generators and then think, oh, how do we make this work for demand response as well, <laughs> but design it uh, specifically to capture that response from the demand side. And innovators in the market, retailers, aggregators, develop great propositions. Then as you say, John, a lot of this now doesn't require extra hardware or controls. It's a software business. So 
uh, that becomes really cheap as that scales. Then in the next years, my view is we'll just see more and more demand side flexibility unlocked to help us get through difficult winters, difficult days. I think that's that's key for me, is, uh, as you mentioned, John, it's not seeing the demand side as the last resort. Yeah, it should be the first resort. <laughs> it should be given the opportunity to participate earlier if the price is right. And, and that's where we really get into customer segmentation on the demand side. We've got some early adopters. We've got people that are capable and willing to respond. And we've got a lot of other uh, other demands that don't. And, and so I don't think it should be either the first resort or the last resort, but have different propositions being offered to different parts of the customer base. Well, we could talk a lot more about demand side flexibility, but we'll leave that there for now and bring out the talking new energy crystal ball and i'm going to set the dial this week to three years time 2026 and i've got a really challenging question for both of you um in 2026 what will we be saying about prices and security supply over the last few years so i want you to try and answer this in a sentence or two <laughs> will we be will we have had blackouts will everything be fine will we stay with the elevator prices will we have low prices will we have the the winter of 22 23 prices Gertz, do you want to, to go first and uh, sum it up in however you want your view and then john yeah i mean i i think i think we'll be starting to see demand to uptick um, slightly, I think there's going to be a few years where where, where demand isn't isn't going to change that much, um, and, and and the winters will be at roughly the same levels as they're at now, maybe slightly lower. But crucially, the thing is, we're not seeing um, much more capacity come off the system now. Um, apart from you know the last coal station will will close um, after the. Um, um, in the next year or two and then after that the, the next set of stations to close are there's a, there's a few more nuclear stations closing after 2026 they're crucially after 2026 so demand's not going to change capacity if anything is it going to change slightly increase with more storage capacity more renewable capacity coming on the system gas prices might come down slightly we're going to be it's going to be a, a boring few years john so your neighbours can put their candles away for a bit, guys. Uh, well, they can save them for their birthday cakes, John. <laughs> John, how about you? Um, so, so first, just to, to caveat, um, Gerbs, you're talking primarily about electricity demand. There. Uh, from a, a GB, GB point of view, I guess, as well. And I think we are reaching a tipping point where we've seen um, underlying demand drop for 20 years. But with the electrification of heating and, and transport, we will see more growing demand in the electricity sector. Um, we've also seen the um, electricity market design proposals from the EU talk about um, introducing a, a peak shaving product and encouraging um, system operators, particularly transmission system operators, to do that. I, I think we'll increasingly see the model of the demand flexibility service from the GB being replicated in a lot of countries around Europe. And that demand side flexibility and the growth of big batteries that we're seeing a huge pipeline across Europe now. The GB has been um, one of the leading countries installing batteries 
but in almost every country in Europe, we're seeing big batteries being installed. So that combination will provide a significant amount of capacity that can reduce demand and and mitigate those peaks. So I think that supports the the, the, the idea that um, it's going to be a boring few years, largely because of that capacity of batteries and demand side flexibility that can come on online and uh, and and really provide a service to the grid when it's needed. Okay. Well, I guess we never know the weather, so that's going to always throw a, a spanner into the works and um, unexpected global events potentially as well. But uh, those aside, that's a really nice uh, summing up of, uh, of your views for the next few years. So um, thanks very much, Gertz. Thanks, John. It's been great to sort of cast our eye back at the beginning to last winter and then look ahead at this winter and explore the, the growing role of demand side flexibility uh to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed this episode and as gov says you can save your candles for your birthday cake you don't need to keep them in the cupboard maybe you do let's see um and look forward to welcoming you back next week thanks and goodbye thanks for tuning in we are excited to bring you captivating conversations from the leading edge of europe's energy transitions If you've got suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes, please let us know. And if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do rate it and share it with colleagues. For show notes, transcripts and more, please visit lcpdelta.com.